on. If you could open up your, uh, what are we calling these things? Pamphlets? Pamphlets. Open up it. Pamphlet. Open those up to the message that's titled Evolution. A fairy tale for grown-ups. And while you're doing that, after you get that done, I need you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just as a recap from this morning's message regarding the resurrection, I wanted to, maybe some of you are familiar with the Bibles, maybe some of you aren't. But uh, when the Lord appeared to the disciples the first time, all 12 of them, does any, anybody raise their hand and tell me, which one of them wasn't there the, the first time He might appear to all 12 of them? Anybody remember that story? Okay, I'm going to make you turn in your Bibles now to another book now. Sorry about that. Go to John 20. We're all going to learn this real quick. Go to John chapter 20. Sorry, I would have thought you guys were familiar with this, but you know what? We're going to get super familiar. It's Thomas. John 20, let's read it. This will encourage you, I hope, because you are spoken about in this passage, as am I. Let's look for it. Okay, John chapter 20, look in verse 24. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in, my, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, where he was struck through with the sword. I will not believe. Do you guys see that? You guys following along? Okay, look in verse 26. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, meeting together, and Thomas was with them this time. Then Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. So you got Jesus in his glorified body. He doesn't even come through the door. He can just come through walls. That's going to be fun one day when we get our glorified body. We can walk through walls. That'll be great, right? Not, not so yet. Um, but at this point, the doors were shut. In comes Jesus into the midst of them and says, Peace be unto you. Verse 27, Then saith he to Thomas, Reacheth hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. Verse 28, And Thomas answered and said unto him, and check this out, My Lord and my God. He believed. I mean, as we all would, right? And should even today still believe. I gave you proofs this morning for that very thing. But he said, My Lord and my God. Note, Jesus is God in the flesh. Okay? There's no question about that. Right there in your Bible, it says it there and many other places. Verse 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And that would be us. We've not seen. We haven't got to stick our hand into his side or into the print of the nails. But you know what? He's given us many infallible proofs. And that's the blessing of the whole thing. And, and let's just finish the chapter because I think it's even more encouraging. And it says, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, the book of John, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And that's what we have the opportunity. If we believe, we can have that life, that eternal life right now. And uh, what a huge blessing that is. And in light of that, now I'm going to make you turn back to 2 Timothy 1. 
I'm sorry, I thought, I thought we could maybe tell that story a little quicker, but that was fun to read, wasn't it? You guys are spoken of. We're spoken of. We, we are able to believe, and God says we're blessed having not seen we believe. But I'm telling you what, we've, we've got many infallible proofs that we went over this morning. But look what Paul says. Paul, the apostle, he's writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 12, this is chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And he says, 2 Timothy 1.12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. In other words, he suffered a lot. I didn't get to read the, the, all the sufferings that Paul went through. I'm telling you, it's, it's amazing what he went through for Christ. I mean, they stoned him, drug him out of the city, almost dead. They, th- they thought he was dead, and then he rose up. I'm pretty sure God just made a miracle happen there, and he did raise him to life again. But anyways, it was over and over. He was, he was persecuted. He says, For the which things I suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. And this is why. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And that's what I want you guys to be, persuaded. He's able to keep you to that day as well, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that he rose from the dead. And then today, this, that, that's the first building block that I wanted to lay in your lives is the resurrection. You guys can trust it. You can bank on it. It's more sure of a historical fact than anything else in history. I don't care that it was 2,000 years ago, but it was, uh, it's more sure than anything else you're learning. I mean, I, I don't know how else to prove it other than what we did this morning, but it is, it is a sure thing. Um, but today, I want to also prove one other thing and give you one more building block to put on a, a foundation that you can build your house of faith on, and that is dealing with the subject of evolution. And you can count on and bank on it that we were created by God. There is no question about it. I don't care what you've been taught up to this point in your life. I know that they, they, they hammer it in the public school system, and I was hammered with it at Ohio State University, and that's what challenged me to say, i got to study this out. i got to know. that Because uh, it's just assumed knowledge now. They just assume that we were created, or that the Earth was a big bang, and then it, you know, then it just all happened, and then it's 40, what, how many billions of years old? I don't even, trillions, whatever they say the universe is. I don't even care. It's so wrong. It's ridiculous. Um, I'm just telling you, you can bank on creation too. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So with that, I want you to run over to Job. And we'll get started with our introduction. Believe it or not, up to this point, I know nothing's been in your notes. But pretty soon, pretty much everything I'm going to say is going to be on the notes. I wanted you to have it to take home with you. I think it's, uh, it's from years of my study and reading many books on this issue. And I just wanted to be able to pass on to you, in written form, something that you could take home. And you can, you know know for sure that creation can be counted on, God's word can be counted on, and we're going to go from there. Job chapter 12. I don't know, did I not tell you what chapter? Sorry. Job chapter 12. If you're new to your Bible, it's right before the book of Proverbs, or Psalms and Proverbs. So if you find Psalms and Proverbs, go to your left. So Job chapter 12, look in verse 7 says, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? And the answer is, we all know it. We all know that the hand of the Lord is what wrought all that. 
we do deep down, and I'll prove it to you later. We're going to turn to another passage where it talks about that. But I'm telling you what, it's assumed there that the answer is, who doesn't know that? Of course God created us. It's just all you got to do is look at the beast. Look at, look at the earth. Look at the fowls of the air. They're going to speak to you. And uh, with that, let's, uh, let's bow our heads and open in, in a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for, for your word. It is, it is more sure than, than your very audible ver- voice. Your, your word tells us that. We can, we can count on it. We can believe it. And I just pray that uh, all the youth in here would, uh, would just believe, that they would uh, have their hearts open and ready to receive your word, and that they would uh, have their faith built up, edified, and uh, in you and in you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look in your introduction. And from this point on, you're going to have to do a lot of reading, and I apologize, but it is what it is. Uh, I'll try to let you know when I'm off the sheet, but we're going to be on the study sheets right now. Do you guys have a pen, by the way? If you don't have a pen, somebody need, you need to raise your hand. Do we, can somebody raise their hand if they don't have a pen? Because we can get that to you. We passed them out? Well, we're good. Okay, as long as we got pens. Okay. This is going to be kind of like a college class, so you're going to have to graduate a little bit because this is a, a lot to take in. But I'm telling you what, you guys need to know this because I'm telling you, they're coming for you. They're coming for you, and I'd be they. I'm talking about Satan and his demons. They're after you. You have a target on your back, and they want to destroy you, and they want you to not believe. They want you to think the Bible's not untrue and that what they're telling you is truth. It's a battle, and they're wrong, and I'm telling you, they're wrong, and, and the Bible's right. Bible's always right. Okay, so let's start. The theory of evolution is nothing more than a fairy tale for grown-ups. Those who subscribe to this faulty theory do so to appease, that's a blank I believe, to appease their sin-loving conscience into thinking that they will never have to face God on Judgment Day. I get this from Romans chapter 1. We'll be turning there in a bit. But that is exactly why they believe in it. They want to believe they don't have to face a God on Judgment Day. So they come up with this faulty theory so that they can have fun doing their sin and have no guilt. Because you know what? God put it on their conscience. They know they're sinning, but they've got to push it down and tell it to stop talking to them. So they create this bogus theory so that they can feel good about their wicked, vile, wretched sin. Okay? That's the issue here. And don't ever forget it. That's always the issue. Always. It's not about science, you guys. Okay, they will be in for the surprise of their life when they die and find themselves standing before God, giving an account of every aspect of their lives on that fateful day. There's a judgment day coming. The Bible says that it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. And he's judging everything. We're talking every even secret thought. So that's the issue here. Excuse me, that's the issue here. This theory was developed by Charles Darwin. Raise your hand if you've heard of Charles Darwin. Okay, good. In the mid-1800s, as he became disillusioned with God and his own life, he is best known for publishing two books on this subject, On the Origin of Species, that was in 1859, and The Descent of Man in Relation to Sex, and that was in 1871, 12 years later. We're going to talk more about those in just a second. Initially, his theory was not widely accepted. In fact, it was ridiculed and thought poorly of, and he was, you know, no one really bought into it initially. Actually, that's for quite a long time. <clears throat> uh, but today, it has become standard teaching in the public school systems of America. And honestly, America's paid a very steep price for this. Yep. 
I mean, a very steep price, and you've unfortunately witnessed it. Some in your lifetime, some before your lifetime. Um, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But uh, is it any wonder that children murder other children in schools today after having been taught for decades that they are nothing more than animals themselves? It's not any wonder. I mean, when that Columbine happened years ago, I believe it was like 97 or so, 99, the Columbine high school shooting, and now how many have we had since then? And I'm telling you, the reason they do that, they have no fear of Judgment Day. They don't think there is a Judgment Day. We've taught them all along. You're just like the animals. Why not kill each other? It's survival of the fittest. They were more fit than you, so they took their lives. It's wicked. It's wicked, and I'm telling you, they got judgment. There is judgment. Um, so, with that, they have removed the fear of God from their minds with this wicked, foolish, and unscientific theory. Satan desires to destroy the foundation of your faith, and that is exactly why evolution is taught as a fact rather than a bad theory today. Back when I was in school, they did still use the word theory. They don't even, they don't even do that anymore as far as I'm aware of. It's just taught as it's fact, and you're wrong if you believe it. I mean, if you don't believe in it. Um, used to be a day and age where you couldn't get elected president in this country unless you believed that God was the creator. Now it's the opposite. If you would say that, you're never getting elected. You couldn't get elected. The media wouldn't allow it. Uh, it's just sad. That's what I'm saying. America's paid a high price for this. Um, so let, let's repair this foundation uh, today by challenging ourselves to remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. That's exactly what it says in Ecclesiastes 12.1. And you guys are the youth, and I'm telling you, I want you to remember your Creator right now. Because that's the key. You can remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And to fulfill what America's founding fathers wrote in the Declaration of Independence when they said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's no wonder... America's in trouble after our founding documents acknowledge our creator and our current situation you can't get elected acknowledging your creator it's a very sad situation but anyways we don't have to be that and uh, we're looking at individual hearts here tonight and I want you to remember your creator in the days of your youth and all the way to the end so let's start into this a little about letter a a little about Charles Darwin the, the man behind this theory of evolution number one I want you to know this he was a racist they're not going to tell you this in the school system, but I'm going to give you a quote of his, and you're going to be like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, if they, if they would ever tell you what he actually said and get out the Origin of the Species book and read it, they'd have to be ashamed of themselves. But I'll tell you, he's a racist. In 1871, Darwin's The Descent of Man is published. He maintains that the gap between savages and the civilized races would become wider, like the gap he saw between the white races and the ape. There would no longer be a closeness such as the one he saw between the Negro and the gorilla. The break will then be rendered wider, for it will intervene between man and a more civilized state, as we may hope, than the Caucasian and some ape as low as a baboon, instead of, of, of as it at present, between the Negro or Australian and the gorilla. I mean, it's, it's as hideous to even read. I feel... I almost feel like I have to apologize. It's so ridiculous. The full title, and I want you to know this. They won't tell you this. The full title of his famous book on the or is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. How many knew that before you said? I mean, I, I never knew that until I started researching this. And I'm like, oh, they cut off that end real quick because they know that ain't going to fly. 
That's not going to fly. Can I have slide one? If you could bring the lights down, that would probably be helpful. In fact, I want you to see this. This is actually something put out by, uh, I got it in a creation magazine, but I love it because on your left side right there, it shows you that man's, what man's word believes. Okay, and in man's word, it says, you know what? Men and apes are very similar. That's what evolution teaches. And that the, the different races you see in the planet, they say those are very different. We're, we're, we're races of people. However, you go to God's word, it's the exact opposite. God's word says in, that creation, man and gorillas or apes or any of those are very different because we were made in God's image. None of the animals have God's image. And then the races, they're all, we're all one race. Where do we all come from? Adam and Eve, right? And then ultimately, after the flood, Noah and his wife and their sons. We all come, we're one race. We just have different pigmentation in our skin based on how we moved about the planet and, and with the DNA that we had. That's, that's how that whole developed. This is, it's just bogus. I just want, you can bring it back up. I just wanted them to see that. You can keep the thing up however you want, Elliot. But um, all that to say, we're moving on. So I want you to know Charles Darwin's a racist, okay? Number two, Charles Darwin, he was a sexist or whatever you want to call. He, he thought lowly of women. Your bullet point says, Darwin also believed that natural selection has left men more intelligent than women. He said the chief distinction in the intellectual powers of the two sexes is shown by man's attaining to a higher eminence in whatever he takes up than can woman, whether requiring deep thought, reason, or imagination, or merely the use of the senses and hands. I mean, <laughs> I just can't believe that this guy is even talked about in the public school system, but I'm telling you, they've whitewashed it. They've taken it all out, all of the garbage that he believed, and then they take the what they want. And let me remind you, why do they do it? To get God out of the equation so they can feel good about their sin. I'm telling you, that's the issue. They're motivated. They're motivated. They don't like the guilt because they want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. They want to lie when they want to lie, and they don't want to have to follow God's law or feel like judgment's coming upon them because they have sinned against God. So he literally thought that men were better than women. And in truth, God made us both in, in his image. However, with some differences, obviously, thankfully, uh, differences in roles and strengths and weaknesses. And quite frankly, we make a perfect match. That's why the whole God instituted marriage. Uh, we need one another. We needed to help meet. And uh, just as a, as a how, how did God, God made man out of what? Tell me what he made it out of. The dust. But what did he make woman out of? Yeah, prime rib. All right? That's the difference. So there's one for you, ladies. So not only did he allow you to, to the honor and the privilege, ladies, of, of discovering the most important event in all of human history, the resurrected Christ, he made you out of prime rib. So there you go. Anyways, all right, enough of Darwin with respect to his racism and sexism. Number three, I want to show you this. Darwin and Hitler both believed in survival of the fittest. And they even teach this still in evolution, survival of the fittest. That's the whole, you know, point of it. Darwin said one general law of natural selection is let the strongest live and the weakest die. Hitler put the theory of Darwinism into practice as clearly evidenced in his book Mein Kampf. That just means my struggle in German. But that's the title of Hitler's book. In fact, if you don't know this, during World War II, he actually replaced, he took all, all the churches in Germany, had to remove the Bible, and they actually, in the pulpits, had Mein Kampf. That's what they read at church. It was Hitler's book, Mein Kampf. 
Don't think it can't happen in America. Don't think it can. Hitler wrote, The stronger must dominate and not mate with the weaker, which would signify the sacrifice of its own higher nature. Only the born weakling can look upon the principle. This principle is cruel. And if he does, so it is merely because he is of a feebler nature and narrow mind. For if such a law did not direct the process of evolution, then the higher development of organic life would not be conceivable at all. He was just putting it into practice. He literally, you know, the concentration camps, yes, they were exterminating the Jewish race. But there was more than that. They were going after anybody that was handicapped, anybody that was homosexual, anybody that was different. They wanted them, and they wanted them out. They didn't want them having babies. They were trying to perfect the race because he was a racist and he was a believer in Darwin's evolution. They also won't tell you that. All right. Now we're moving on. Letter B. This is something, and I know this is going to sound like it's like a science class, but I need you to understand this truth. Letter B. Micro versus macro evolution. We need to make sure we're talking about uh, the same thing here when we use these terms. Um, it's important to understand the distinction between these two because evolution believers use them interchangeably. They just say the word evolution and then they talk about microevolution to prove their macroevolution. Okay, and I'm going to explain what each term means. But we have to understand the distinction because one of them is scientific, the other one's a bunch of hocus pocus. Okay, number one, microevolution. This is change within a species through adaptation and speciation. This change is already genetically encoded into the DNA of the organism by God at creation. This deals with, I think that's a blank, right? Creation. This deals with attributes like tall, short, hair color, beak size, etc. This is scientific because it is testable, observable, provable. This is why we have all the different variation of house, uh, you know, pets. The dogs you see, they can all mate with one another. But you know what they did? They took the, the, the features that they liked in dogs and started just allowing them to, you know, breathe within that type of trait and to, to get it out. They, they just, it was already encoded in the DNA. This is not something, God created one dog kind on the day of, uh, with all that variation in the DNA. And man, wisely, who is, was given charge over creation, used it to, to do what we did, to let them, to, to use the speciation within their variation to have all the little, little dogs, big dogs, vicious dogs, pit bulls that we should get rid of. Sorry if you have one. <laughs> but it's just scary. They, they, they do kill some people. They just did that recently, I heard. But anyway, long story there. Uh, listen, though, but that, this, is, this is testable. This is proven. And everyone believes and agrees with this, okay? That's microevolution. Micro, on a small scale, within the DNA. That's why it's called micro. And, um, you know, examples of this also would be like bacteria change and COVID-19. You know how it keeps, they have different, uh, they have Delta, they have Om Omicron or whatever it's called. It's not, it's not evolving. It's just, we, it's just, uh, it's speciation. It's what's going on. It's, it's replicating and the ones that survive are replicating with each other. And, and we've already killed off the one and it's gone because we have immunity to it. It can't reproduce. But the ones that are living are reproducing, and, and that forms a new variant. It's not anything not in the DNA. So don't buy that that's the evolution proof. It's baloney. Um, okay, number two, macroevolution. This is the change from species to a completely different species. In other words, from one kind into another kind. This is the monkey-to-man evolution that Darwin hypothesized. 
This is completely unscientific and unprovable because it is not observed and is unable to be tested. You must have blind faith to believe this. Literally, blind faith. We have reasonable faith, as I just proved somewhat this morning with, with the resurrection, and hopefully I'm going to show with creation this morning. We have logical reasons to believe. They have um, reasons to believe that are... Uh, Wrong. Let's just say, I can't come up with the word I'm looking for, but they have reasons to believe so that they can enjoy their sin, is what I'm trying to say. They're, they're motivated by unjust reasons to believe this. They have ulterior motives. That's what I'm after. So, um, just so you know, there are exactly zero missing links that have been discovered. They always try to say, oh, there's missing links. There's a link between the ape and the, and the man. It's the Neanderthal. I'm just telling you, every skeleton they've ever, ever discovered, they print it in the paper. We found the link. They write it all up. They've not, they've not done the research. It's always proven that, that oh, it's either a human or it was an ape. It always is. I'm telling you, you go back and research them now. They print them on page 14 of the paper, the retraction, or the... But, they get it out there so that the people who believe in evolution can just run with it. Every one of them is, is a joke. It's not true. There are no missing links out there. Okay, let us see. Why is evolution such a big deal? Some people ask this question. Couldn't God be the creator who just started the evolutionary process? And the answer to that question is absolutely no. Not if the Bible's true. That's the issue. And we're going to show that right here. Number one, if evolution is true, then Genesis chapters 1 through 3 are fiction. They're absolutely fiction. If Genesis, number, number two there, if Genesis 1 through 3 are fiction, then Adam and Eve were never created. That's just all there is to it. There, there is no Adam and Eve. It's a fiction story. That's Genesis 2, 7 when they were created. And if that's the case, Adam and Eve were never in the Garden of Eden and they never took the fruit and they never sinned against God. So Adam and Eve never sinned. That's Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And if Adam and Eve never sinned, then you know what? We're not sinners. Because Romans 5.12 says, and uh, help me out, Corey. Help. As by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and, and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Yeah, sorry about that. A lot in my mind right now. But anyways, we're not sinners then either. Next, if we're not sinners, we don't need a Savior, guys. We don't need a Savior. And also, Paul would have been deceived because, well, he thought he was a sinner and needed a Savior. And the whole New Testament is kind of worthless. And then Jesus is a liar because, turn to Matthew 19 if you would. Matthew chapter 19. Pharisees come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and once again they're tempting him. It says in verse 3, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Verse 4, And he answered and said, this is Jesus talking, answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. He's literally quoting Genesis 2, 21 through 24. He literally believed what, well, he wrote in Genesis 2. And so my point being is, Jesus is a complete liar if he's going to sit there and call the Pharisees that, 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 that that's pointing back to Genesis 2. And if Jesus is a liar, then Jesus wasn't God and therefore couldn't save us because Titus 1-2 says God cannot lie. 
But we know that he is God. We've already proven that. And Thomas very well called him my Lord and my God. Yep. So... It's a big deal. You can't just have them start evolution. God did not just start it and let evolution take off from there. He spoke it into existence, just like he said in Genesis. And we'll have more on that later. Look at your quote on your sheet. It says, this is by an atheist, Richard Bozarth, quoted in 1978. It says, evolution destroys utterly and finally the very reason Jesus' earthly life was supposedly made necessary. Destroy Adam and Eve in the original sin and in the rubble you will find the sorry remains of the Son of God taking away the meaning of His death. If Jesus was not the Redeemer, and this is what evolution means, then Christianity is nothing. And that's their point. And they are trying to get rid of it. Don't think you can marry the two. They're incompatible. Letter D. Creation itself is proof positive that there was a Creator. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans now. Romans chapter 1. such a great chapter in your Bible, something you should read. You ought, to take, you ought to take some month of your life and read Romans 1 literally every day. Do it. You'll have it almost memorized by the time you're done with the month. I've been doing that with books of the Bible a while in my life, and I'm telling you, just take a chapter or take, take a small book. My first time I ever did it was the book of Titus. It's three chapters. I read it every day for the month, and now I'm almost, I can almost, when someone's quoting it, it just rolls off the tongue. Do it. It gets the Bible in your heart. I'm telling you, it's a great way to learn your, the book. But in Romans 1 and verse 20, um, look what it says. It says, For the invisible things of Him, talking about God, from the creation of the world are seen. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I'm telling you, creation screams there's a God. And that's exactly what it says in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. We kind of started out in Job that said that very thing they're going to teach you. Just look at Him. How do, you, how, do you, how do you explain hummingbirds, horses, kittens, puppies, blue whales, dolphins, giraffes? They're more than enough to prove there's a creator. It, no evolutionist can come close to creating anything like any of those, even given the starting ingredients. Give them the whole starting ingredients of a giraffe. Give them a dead giraffe. There, make it, make it, make it alive. I want to see it happen. They can't do it. Because nobody can tell me why your heart beats. Nobody. I can't explain it. Doctors can't explain it. You know what makes your heart beat? God. God makes your heart beat. There's no other reason. I can't. How's that electrical thing going? We really don't know other than God's keeping it going. And we're thankful for that. So, uh, I wanted to keep reading. Look in verse 21. Because that when they knew God, talking about those that have denied God now, but they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's exactly what happens. You start denying God, well, you become a fool, and He'll darken your heart. That's what'll happen. And you're, you're living in this passage. And then verse 22, they professed themselves to be wise, yet they became fools. The, that's what these scientists are all, oh yeah, we believe in evolution. They dress up and they talk real smart and they look like they're professors. And they're, they don't even hire anybody that believes like me in a college anymore because you can't. Because they want all scientists and professors to be all the same. And they want them to speak the evolution mantra. 
And I'm telling you, that's the only reason it's not taught in schools like that. You have to literally go to a Christian school to get any truth. Um, but anyway, they profess themselves to be wise, but they are the fools. Verse 23, And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to what? Uncleanness. Through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And that's really the issue. That's really the issue. I don't want to be too graphic here, but this is the issue with evolution. People want to have sex with whoever they want to have sex with. That's really the issue. They want to dishonor their own body with whoever they want to dishonor their own body with. And they don't want God telling them that it should be done in marriage and marriage alone. That's the issue. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And this is why we talk about saving the owls, saving the whales, saving all kinds of animals, and yet all the while we murder babies over and over and over again. A holocaust in our very own country. And we're fine with it. And it's horrifying. And I'm quite sure God is ticked. And that's why America is being judged. And uh, thankfully, Roe v. Wade's got overturned. But honestly, it's, it's not enough. There's still too many dying. And uh, it's because we worship and serve the creature more than the creator. That's the issue. Romans 1, read it every day for a month. I'm telling you, it'll, it'll, it'll open your eyes and, 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 wow, change your heart. Um, I think a verse is on your sheet, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What a great verse. Our faith isn't blind faith, you guys. It's not blind. We don't have to go into it not, not having any reasons or logic. We don't have to check logic at the door. See, God created logic. It says, in fact, Christ is wisdom. They're the ones that are illogical because they don't believe Christ. So we have logic on our side. All we've got to do is follow the facts. More to come on that, but I'm just telling you, we don't have blind faith. We have substance and evidence for our faith. I'll give you just a little bit right now. Number one, creation. How do you know that a building has a builder? Here's your answer. The building itself is proof that there was a builder. The building exists. I use this all the time when I'm witnessing to people. If they have a little or a question about evolution, I promise you, I just say, well, how do you, you know, I'm in the YMCA talking to somebody. Well, how do you think this building, how do you know this building had a builder? Because the building exists. Yeah, it's here. We, I don't, I, and I'm not even saying, I don't even know who the builder was, but I know, I know there was one because it doesn't, buildings don't happen by themselves. Well, creation doesn't happen by itself either. There's no way it could. How do you get a giraffe from nothing? Good luck. It's not only God. Only God can do that, right? Um, design. How do you know a bridge has a designer? The bridge itself is proof that there was a designer behind it. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> My wife's helping me teach here. Uh, I brought, I'm, my occupation, I'm a civil engineer, okay? So we design various roadway projects, bridges, culverts, what have you. I just wanted to bring, I brought a bridge plan, okay? Like five or six people had to put together this plan that's, you know, in the 90s. It's like a 92-page plan to build a, how long is this bridge? A 350-foot bridge on US 30. This is what it takes. It took a number of designers to do this. Bridges don't happen by themselves. And then we had to hire a contractor, and then they had to go out there and have a bunch of men build this thing exactly how we told them to do it. And if they don't do it right, they fall down and we all die. That's the issue. So um, the whole point is there's a, lot, there's a lot of problems if we don't have designers. 
Okay? You guys are having a lot of faith trusting, driving over bridges that I've been involved in. Just saying. I don't really know bridges, but I'm just saying. Uh, I didn't do that plan. I'm not a bridge guy. But anyway. Uh, where was I? Why am I here? Okay, let's see here. Uh, so letter three, or number three. There we go. Art. How do you know that a painting has a painter? The painting itself is proof there was a painter. Paintings don't happen by themselves. The Mona Lisa doesn't just show up. Um, and then lastly, order. All things showing order have an orderer. And I put these Coke cans on your, on your sheet just to show they're, they're, they're made in order. Um, let's say you had an apple tree or a peach tree or some fruit tree outside the backyard. And you walk out, and, you know, normally they're just, you know, sometimes the fruit falls off the tree and it's randomly there. How about if you walked out once, one day and it said, hello, in the, in the oranges? No, I'm serious. If you walked out and it said that, would you think, oh, that probably just happened overnight accidentally and it just formed those letters? Or would you think, someone's been there. Someone's been there and arranged those. Someone intelligent that knew how to spell did that. You would know that, wouldn't you? Yeah, inherently, you wouldn't blazingly, you know, just think, oh, yeah, that just happened. That's what evolutionists do. They literally believe that just happened. It's insanity. You believe insanity if you believe in evolution. I'm just letting you know. That's the issue. Order shows there's an orderer. Um, it's really proof positive. In fact, Melanie and I were involved one time. We were at the beach with friends of ours. And they, they weren't married yet. They were getting, they were, they were getting ready to be engaged. And, and it was the Kramers, whoever knows Ed and Carrie Kramer. But Ed goes out and tells Mel, hey, I want you to write, will you marry me in the sand? And I'm going to take Carrie on a walk. And I want her to see that. But can you imagine if Carrie saw that and thought, hmm, that's weird. The beach, the, the waves just did that. Of course she wouldn't think that. So, I mean, it's just, I'm just saying, things don't just happen. Who's ever looked at Mount Rushmore and thought, wow, evolution's an amazing thing. Look, four presidents on there. Exactly what they look like. <laughs> no, we all know someone's been working on Mount Rushmore. It's obvious. It's obvious. So, examples of some purposeful orderness, orderliness in our creation. This is not on your study sheet. But it's in my notes here. Let me just go over a few things. The earth is literally positioned at just the right distance from the sun so that we receive exactly the proper amount of heat to support life. The other planets of our solar system are either too close to the sun, that is too hot, or else too far and too cold to sustain life. We're literally positioned perfectly. Number two, any appreciable... I say number two on my notes, not on yours. Uh, any appreciable change in the rate of rotation of the earth would make life literally impossible. Literally impossible. For example, if the Earth were to rotate just one-tenth of its present rate, uh, less all plant life would either be burned to a crisp during the day or frozen at night. We wouldn't have any food. Um, the Earth's axis is tilted at 23 degrees from perpendicular to the plane of its orbit. Tilting, the tilting combined with the Earth's revolution around the sun causes our seasons, which are essential for the raising of food supplies. And I could go really on and on. It's, the work positioned so perfectly, it couldn't have just happened. Somebody designed it. So, with all that, it's, uh, it's just amazing. Now, what I want to do in the remainder of the time, we're going to look at different uh, aspects of science. I'm going to look at specifically two, biology and physics. We're just going to look at some examples of special creation in biology. Letter E. This is examples of special creation in biology. And Elliot, if you could give me the next slide. The first thing we're going to look at is the human eye. Um, there's nothing really to see. I just want, you don't have to turn that down yet. I just wanted them to know it's a very intricate design, the eyeball. And by the way, I just want you to know this. He designed it 
in the human and then in how many different animals that can see. I mean, this had to, if evolution is true, how did it evolve all, the, all in flies, in, 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 in all the different, it's insane to start thinking of the mathematical improbability of such a, a thing to happen. But let's read about it. Evolutionists are hard-pressed to explain the step-by-step -step accidental devel development of the human eye, which is characterized by a staggering complexity. Furnished with automatic aiming, automatic focusing, and automatic aperture adjustment, the human eye can function from almost complete darkness to bright sunlight. See an object the diameter of a fine hair and make about 100,000 separate motions in an average day. Faithfully affording us a continuous series of color stereoscopic pictures. All of this is performed usually without complaint, and then while we sleep, it carries on its own maintenance work. It is difficult to understand how evolutionists can honestly believe that the eye came about through a step-by-step -step trial and error evolutionary process. This is especially true when we realize that the eye would be useless unless fully developed. It either functions at an integrated whole or not at all. I mean, that's, that's, you guys understand how that makes sense? I hope that makes sense to you. How does an eye keep getting better and better until it sees? To me, the whole process of evolution should have said, well, it's not working, it should get rid of it. It doesn't just keep getting better and better until millions of years later, oh, it finally made it to the seeing part. It's a literally worthless object until it sees. All right? So it's either a, a helpful or not helpful at all. Um, if you could throw up verse, uh, the next slide, son. All right, Proverbs 20.12. I just wanted you to, I love this verse. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord hath made even both of them. It's kind of an odd verse to think, why did God put that in there? Probably for us, our day and age, because we have literal morons that believe that it wasn't made by God. I'm sorry, I'm just being, I should call them fools because that's what the Bible calls them. Morons is probably wrong and I need to repent. But uh, they are fools because God said they're fools to believe such a thing. So literally, and, and, and it's amazing. Like I said, an eye is worthless if it can't see. And an ear, unless it's a hearing ear, really doesn't help, does it? You want a hearing ear and a seeing eye. The Lord's made both of them. And uh, listen to the following quote. It is on your study sheet by Charles Darwin himself, the inventor of the evolutionary theory. This is his quote. To suppose that the eye, with all its in inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration, could have formed by natural selection, that is evolutionary processes, seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest possible degree. The belief that an organ as perfect as the eye could have formed by natural selection is more than enough to stagger anyone. He didn't believe that it could have happened either because he understands math, probability, and the impossibility of such a thing. Just wanted to give you, that's a quote from Charles Darwin himself. Okay, number two. Another thing in biology that you see that is, quite frankly, impossible to explain apart from a creator is this thing called cleaning symbiosis. Big words. You don't have to memorize them. I just want you to know we're going to read about it. So let's look. An amazing relationship found in nature which ridicules evolutionary thinking is that of cleaning symbiosis. Fish, for example, roam about feeding on smaller fish and shrimp only to find that their mouths have become littered with debris and parasites. 
The solution to this problem for several types of fish is a visit to the local cleaning station. At the cleaning station, the large fish opens its mouth and gill chambers, bearing vicious looking teeth, and in swim the undaunted little cleaner fish and shrimp to do their jobs. After their chore is completed, they swim back out of the larger fish's mouth unharmed, and the big fish swims away. That literally happens in the ocean. This isn't like made up. This type of relationship could never, I believe that's a blank, right? Yeah. Could never have resulted from a mere chance, trial and error evolutionary process. Animal instincts for self-preservation would surely override any such unnatural suicidal tendency. Also, the temptation to get an easy free meal or to react to the irritating cleaners would tend to discourage the development of such a relationship. This type of arrangement can only reflect special creation by God himself. Really, how does that even happen? You couldn't. That's not going to develop over time. I'm telling you, they're going to eat each other. There's another thing, another non-aquatic example of this, is uh, this type of relationship is the Egyptian plover or plover. I can't, I'm not sure how to say that, but it's a bird and the Nile crocodile. Throw up the next slide. I don't know if you can see that. Maybe bring the, the lights down a little bit. Literally, they open their mouths and these birds, I had a number of pictures I wanted to bring and show you, but I'm telling you, some of them, they'll have like four or five or six birds in there, and they just open their mouths and they let them clean their teeth for them, and then they fly right out. Would you get in there and clean the crocodile's teeth? No, because you'd become the meal. But for some reason, God made them to where they don't eat those birds. So, quite interesting. You can bring the lights up. Next up in biology, we're going to look at what's called the bombardier beetle. The bombardier beetle is a small insect that is armed with an impressive defense system. Whenever threatened by an enemy attack, this spirited little beetle blasts irritating and odious gases which are at 212 degrees Fahrenheit out from two tailpipes right into the unfortunate face of the would-be aggressor. Hermann something or other, a German chemist, studied the bombardier beetle to find out how he accomplishes this impressive chemical feat. He learned that the beetle makes his explosive by mixing two very dangerous chemicals, hydro hydroquinone and hydrogen peroxide. In addition to these two chemicals, this clever little beetle adds another type of chemical known as an inhibitor. This inhibitor prevents the chemicals from blowing up and en enables the beetle to store the chemicals indefinitely. Whenever the beetle is approached by a predator, such as a frog, he squirts the stored chemicals into the two combustion tubes, and at precisely the right moment, he adds another chemical, an anti-inhibitor. This knocks out the inhibitor, and a violent explosion occurs right in the face of the poor attacker. Slide nine, Elliot, if you would, the next slide. I just wanted you to see it. I don't know if you can tell. It's literally blasting it out. And uh, that's, that's something that really is almost unexplainable. And now let's pick up with the notes. According to evolutionary thinking, there must have been thousands of generations of beetles improperly mixing these hazardous chemicals in fatal evolutionary experiments, blowing themselves to pieces. <laughs> really. But what would be motivation for such disastrous trial and error of piecemeal evolution? Everything in evolution is supposed to be beneficial and have a logical purpose, or else it would, not, never, or would never develop. So, I mean, these are just things in, in creation that are just amazing. And there's, there's endless examples of this, and we're going to look at even a couple more yet. But I'm just telling you, God did an amazing thing with creation. And truly, the heavens and creation scream the glory of God, and they declare it, that he's the creator. And it's clearly seen. Look at number four, hawks. The, to obtain the most efficient ratio between bone strength and body weight, animals generally have hollow bones. 
This is particularly true in the case of birds where minimum weight and maximum strength is critical for flight. While plain hollow bones suffice for most birds, the bone structure of hawks and a few others are much more advanced in their engineering design. Their bones have inner diagonal struts that provide maximum strength with the least possible bone structure or weight. From an engineering standpoint, this design is quite advanced and elegant. In fact, in the engineering world, this type of construction is known as the Warren Truss. I pictured it for you there. And you see the little, you know, this truss on the bridge and that, that's, that, that's there to strengthen the bridge to make sure it holds it up. But it it's, it's allows the steel to not be solid, so it's not so heavy. But they have to put those struts. In fact, when I was in an engineering class, I'm telling you, I had to measure the force. And when you put a force on the bridge, I had to then be able to do the math on the whole thing to tell you exactly what force was in each one of those members on the Warren truss and other types of trusses that are out there. But let's pick up in our notes. It is significant to note that it took millions or humans millions of dollars and untold man hours to discover this important engineering structure. It would be insane to suppose that such superb engineering design happened by mere chance. Clearly such impressive design reflects careful forethought and great engineering know-how. And God did that in the bones of hawks. I'm just like, that's amazing to me. And I put a, put a verse on your study sheet. O oh Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Amen to that, right? Okay, last one in biology. I want to look at the DNA slash mutation theory. It is proposed that genes somehow change into completely new forms via the process of mutation. Hence the mutation theory. According to this theory, new species are a result of favorable, in other words, good, mutations or chance DNA alterations. However, Mutations are almost always, and I'm saying 99.99% of the time, harmful, if not lethal to the unfortunate organism in which they occur. In other words, mutations produce organisms that are weaker and at a marked disadvantage. They are less able to compete for survival. And you know, on top of that, just so you know, DNA is a detailed language containing vast amount of information, you guys. That's what DNA is. It's literally a language that tells your body how to develop and grow and what color of eyes to have and how, how, to, how, to, how to form and everything. That's what DNA is. It's a language. It, it itself proves God exists. Who put that language there? God did. He's the one that speaks DNA. Um, the probability, just so you understand, the probability of DNA arising by mere chance is so astronomical. It's, it's about like the equivalent of getting a perfect unabridged dictionary by sticking a monkey in a room with a typewriter for a week and you think you're going to come out with a perfect dictionary. That's really what you're talking about here. That, it's insane. I'm telling you, I, I can't come up with mathematical things to even get you to understand how ridiculous it is to think DNA could develop by chance. And they know it. They do. They know it. Um, they just have ulterior motives, you guys, that we've already talked about. Okay, so letter F. Some questions for evolutionists. And these are good questions that I think keep them in your back pocket. But in the end, I really, they're for you. So that you know, wow, I know whom I have believed. And I know God created me. And I know he rose from the dead. This is going to help you. Which of all first? These are good questions. Which of all first? Male or female? In every kind of species. If one did not evolve first, how did it produce without a mate? Really, there's no answers. They don't give you answers. And that happens in every species. You telling me two things walked out of the ocean and decided, oh, time to, time to live on the land now. 
because they say all oh, life started in the ocean and then it moved to land. Well, you had to have a male and a female come aboard at the same time. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The whole thing's just so ridiculous. I can't believe people believe in it. Really, I, I struggle. But anyway, number two, the lungs, the mucus lining to protect them or the perfect mixture of gases to be breathed into the lungs. Tell me which one happened first. Number three, the plants or the insects that live on and pollinate the plants. Because without them, there are no more plants. You realize without the bees, there are no flowers. They need each other. They had to happen at the same time, which is exactly what Genesis 1 says happened. Number four, which happened first? The bones, the ligaments, tendons, blood supply, or muscles to move the bones? Which one? Something had to happen first in the evolutionary process, or God made them. Number five, this is my favorite. The heart, the blood, or the arteries and veins that carry the blood throughout the body? Why do you have a heart without veins? Why do you have veins without blood? Why do you have a heart without... I mean, they're, they're all working together. It really becomes utter insanity. You literally have to check logic at the door to believe in it, but I'm telling you, millions do. Most do, sadly. And I don't want you to treat your friends that believe in this badly, by the way. I know I'm somewhat mocking it up here today. That is, that is really for here. Really, we need to love people that believe this, and we need to make sure they know... Uh, we, there's a way to approach this, and maybe I'll go to that verse uh, later on before we leave, because I don't want you, you know, we're not here to beat people up that believe this. This is for you. I don't want you to ever question your faith in God or the fact that God created you and that Judgment Day is coming and we need to get other people ready for Judgment Day. Amen. All right? So we will go to there in just a bit, but I do want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 20, uh, chapter 1. You should be in Romans. Turn to your right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look in verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, verse 25, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men are after the flesh, not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. That's, that's us, guys and gals. He's chosen us to confound these intellectuals of our day that think evolution's true. It's our job to believe this book and then to somehow figure out a way wisely to teach them the truth. And there's a way to wisely do it. And, uh, you know, let's just go there now before I forget. I'm afraid I'll forget. Let's run over to 1 Timothy. I think it's in 1 Timothy. I'll get there and tell you if it's in 1 Timothy. Um, nope, it's in 2 Timothy. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And look in the end of the chapter. Look in verse 23. He's talking about to believers here, and he's saying, hey, this is how I want you to reach out to people that are foolish. Who are fools? Fools are saying that there is no God. That's what, fool, that's what God defines as a fool. Look in verse 23. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes or, or fights or arguments. And the servant of the Lord, that's us, must not strive. In other words, get in an argument with people about this. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those who oppose themselves, 
They're opposing themselves here, you guys. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and then they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. So how are we supposed to do this? We're not supposed to do this striving. We're, we're supposed to avoid foolish and unlearned questions. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, but I believe in evolution. Oh, take that as an opportunity. You're going to have an awesome conversation. Of course, you can share a little bit of truth that maybe you learned here, but hopefully you do it in a meek, mild, gentle way. And hopefully then you get to say, in fact, the one thing I've ever used is already on your study sheet. I just always go to the, okay, well, let's talk about evolution real quick. How do you know this building had a builder? And we go over that. Oh, the building's proof there's a builder. Obviously, it didn't happen by itself. Same thing with creation. Now, what are you going to do on judgment day? Even if you don't believe in God, I'm telling you, I just proved creation to you right there. So let's just move on. What are you going to do on judgment day when you have to face him and you're in your sins and you know you've lied, stolen, looked with lust? And we're going to talk more about all that tomorrow. But I'm telling you, and maybe we'll re revisit this verse later on. That's how you talk to your lost friends who might believe this. You do it sweetly, gently, in love, not mocking them. They're just believing what they're told. And, and we're, our job is to help them recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Okay, back to your notes. Letter G. Proof of special creation in physics. Physics is the study of properties relating to matter and energy. Raise your hand if you've had a physics class at all yet. Lots of it is a senior class, typically. But if you have, have you had physics? Some of you? Okay, good. Well, you're going to have a little bit of a physics class this morning, or this evening. So, get ready. Number one, the first law of thermodynamics. It's also known as the law of energy conservation. And it states this, energy can be converted from one form to another, but it can neither be created nor destroyed. In other words, the state of energy in the universe is constant. That's what the law says. Testable, proven, not up for debate. Moving on. I'll explain more in just a bit. Letter B. Although scientists cannot account for the origin of energy and matter, or why the total energy is conserved, the Bible offers an explanation. God alone can truly create, and man can only refashion pre-existing materials. Since God has ceased from his creative works in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, energy can no longer be created, because he's the source of all energy. So the reason energy cannot be destroyed is because God is upholding all things by the word of his power. He preserves and keeps in store his creation, which is exactly what 2 Peter 3, 7 says. He keeps in store his creation. Letter C, the law, this law, is the reason that scientists say the sun is burning out. Because the energy from the sun is being converted to heat, and that energy can't replenish itself. Um, can you imagine the sun? I was just thinking about that before I came here. It rises every day, thankfully. How, I mean, we feel the heat from the sun, and it's like further away than the planet's. Can you imagine how hot it is getting closer to that thing? I just, I can't, it, I'm in awe of the sun itself. And just imagine, every star you see in the sky, most of them are bigger than our sun. They're just way further away. I just can't even fathom the greatness of our God and how amazing he is. And the Bible says in Genesis 1 about the stars, oh yeah, and he made the stars also. That's how great our God is. It's just an afterthought for him. He's just wanting you to understand, I made the sun, the moon, the earth. Oh yeah, and the stars too, by the way. Anyways. Second law of thermodynamics, number two. It's also known as the law of energy decay or entropy. This, the energy available for useful work in a functioning system tends to decrease even though the total energy remains constant. Um, maybe the best way to think of that is you ever start a fire in your fireplace? 
What happens eventually to that fire if you don't add more fuel to it? It goes out, doesn't it? It's transferring that energy from fire and wood to heat, and then the heat dissipates into the air, into the universe. Doesn't, it's not gone. It's just you can't feel it anymore because it's, it's all over the place. You see what I mean? So that's what's going on here with this second law of thermodynamics. Um, the organized complexity or order of a structured system tends to become disorganized and random over time. The Bible literally calls this the law of sin and death. It's a law. And, uh, you know, I mean, homeownership is proof that this law exists. You have to replace your roof. You have to replace your sign. You have to paint your house. You got to, I mean, over and over. If you don't take care of your house, I promise you, in 20 years, it's dilapidated and in ruins. Just from existing because of the law of entropy. Look at the cars. Nobody's driving a car from 80 years ago. Well, okay, unless they've refurbished it and done a lot of work to it. It's because they're all rusted through. They're all entropy has taken over. The second law took care of those cars and everything else. Basically, number, letter A, basically this law states that everything is getting worse, not better, as evolutionists must teach. Um, you're in Timothy. Run over to Hebrews uh, to your right just a little bit. Hebrews chapter 1. This law is talked about in Hebrews 1. The Bible, I'm telling you, it's not just a relevant book, book. And while it's maybe not a technically a science book, it's accurate in all matters relating to science because, well, science is knowledge and knowledge is God. He is wisdom and knowledge. So, Hebrews 1, verse 10, look at that. It says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old, as doth a garment. So there you have it. It's, it's getting older and it's going to get worse and worse. Just that's why clothes have to be replaced. Who's here wearing clothes? You know, they're 20 years old. Probably not many of us. Um, I'm going to say some of us maybe. But anyway, 50 years old. Let's go with that. Okay. Um, letter B. The second law of thermodynamics renders the theory of evolution not only statistically highly improbable, but virtually impossible. In the words of the British astronomer, astronomer Arthur Eddington, if your theory is found to be against the second law of thermodynamics, I can give you no hope. There is nothing for it but to collapse in the deepest humiliation. Letter C. The Bible clearly predicts the second law of thermodynamics in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, which is on your uh, sheet. It says, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto the dust shalt thou return. The following quote uh, on your sheet is... Uh, from a guy named Henry Morris. He used to be the chair of the civil engineering department at the University of Minnesota. And he, uh, he's a civil engineer and he wrote a book called The Genesis Flood. And uh, he says this quote, I love this quote, the second law proves, as certainly as science can prove anything whatsoever, that the universe had a beginning or has a beginning. Similarly, the first law shows that the universe could not have begun itself. The total quantity of energy in the universe is constant. But the quantity of available energy is decreasing. Therefore, as we go backward in time, the available energy would have been progressively greater until finally we would reach the beginning point where available energy equaled total energy. Time could go back no further than this. At this point, both energy and time must have come into existence. Since energy could not create itself, the most scientific and logical conclusion to which we could possibly come to is that in the beginning, 
God created the heaven and the earth. I know that's a lot to digest. I've read that quote so many times in my life, it's easy for me to understand it. But maybe you need to read that again sometime alone tonight or maybe later this week. I'm telling you, that quote is good. <laughs> I'm telling you, it proves it. Yeah? A, you missed A, I missed it? Oh, uh, created? Is that what you're talking about? What? That's the law that teaches. Oh, sorry. Basically, this law teaches that everything is getting worse. No, point one. Sorry, topic page. I don't have the same notes as you. I'm so sorry. I'm going to need to see where we're at. The Okay, this law teaches that the universe is not created. There is absolutely. I got to look where I'm at. Proof of special creation in physics. Uh, there is absolutely nothing. I'm sorry. I apologize. There is absolutely nothing that could possibly account for this origin. Sorry about that. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, you guys. That's my bad. Okay. Um, okay, we're on letter H, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, man, I really wanted to talk a little bit about geology, but I know we're getting long, so I'm going to just cut that out. But just know that geology, anything you see geologically in the, in the uh, earth, I'm just telling you, fossilization, everything you see, fossilization requires uh, rapid burial on a massive scale. It's got to be buried rapidly to fossilize. Other things, you guys seen something dies on the side of the road, what happens? It turns to bones and the flesh goes away, the birds eat it, and there's nothing left. And it turns to dust again. Fossilization happens because something buried it quick. I'm telling you, everything we see fossilization-wise is because of one event that's in your Bible, and it's Noah's flood. That's the only thing that makes sense, and it's really what you see and why we have all the fossilization that we see, because we don't have fossilization happening anymore. So, anyways, well, that's enough of that. But uh, I, in, on, your steet, on your sheet, I did put 1 Timothy 6.21, just talking about, O oh, Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, and avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. So I don't want that to be any of us. We can, we can trust our Bible, and we can trust uh, Genesis 1 through 3. Letter H, atheistic evolutionists are left with believing that nothing created ev everything. It's a scientific impossibility. I hope you guys understand that. It's literally, that's what they're left with. Nothing became everything. I mean, it's really absurd to the highest possible degree. But I'm going to give you some quotes just so you can see. This is what the wizards of smart in our culture literally think and say. I mean, they, they are. They're the wizards of smart. This is what they say. Letter A. It's now becoming clear that everything can and probably did come from nothing. That's a physicist from Ashton University in England. Well, thank you, genius. All right. Letter B. Space and time both started at the Big Bang, and therefore there was nothing before it. Sorry, nothing can explode. Just not, doesn't make any sense. That's a, that's a Cornell University uh, from Ask, Ask an Astronomer uh, answer. Um, letter C. Few people are aware that the fact that many modern physicists claim that things, perhaps even the entire universe, can indeed arise from nothing via natural processes. That's from an atheist, Mark something or other. Letter D. To understand these facts, we have to turn to science. Where did they all come from? How did they get so uh, darned outrageous? Well, it all started with 
Nothing. That's from your great channel, The Animal Planet. All right? And there's more quotes. I literally had to cut some out. It just goes on and on. They all believe it came from nothing. Well, I'm sorry. Nothing creates nothing. We know that. That's scientific. This isn't really hard. Number two, the Big Bang is an intellectual embarrassment to all of science. If something exploded, then who created the something and who caused it to explode? Honestly, you've got to ask these questions. This isn't hard. Don't check logic at the door. And if you do, just know I already know your motives. You want to sin and you want to sin without guilt. Because my Bible tells me that. Um, your bullet point. It is interesting that the Big Bang was developed to scientifically explain the fact that everything appeared as if all at once. Which is pretty much what God said in Genesis 1. That's really what they, they, they know it all goes back to one point in time. So they try to come up with this theory, but they still have a problem because nothing can't create anything. And nothing can't explode. I've, I, I almost brought a set of Legos and put it in a box and I wanted to just illustrate, no matter how many times you shake those Legos, I don't care, it's not coming out with anything but a bunch of Legos that are not put together. You can do it a bazillion, bazillion times over a bazillion years, you're going to get that and that, by that time entropy would have taken over and you're going to be shaking dust. So, I'm just telling you, you need, you need a designer to create something. And that designer was God. And he said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So, number three, evolutionists find it hard to believe that God could make everything out of nothing, but the alternative, that nothing turned itself into everything. Uh, but the alternative is that nothing turned itself into everything. Which takes more faith to believe? That's really what it comes down to. That's why I say it, it takes blind faith to literally believe that. And I don't have blind faith. I want logic and I want reason. And we have the right to ask for that because God is the creator of that and He is wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. It's all over the Proverbs, all over your Bible. In conclusion, it is scientifically impossible for nothing to have created everything. It is absurd to the highest possible degree to think that one kind of species can change into a completely different kind of species regardless of the time involved. Life only comes from life. This is called the law of biogenesis as proven by Louis Pasteur, who I believe was a believer. <laughs> Living organisms all produce after their own kind, just as God said in Genesis chapter 1. Evolution believers are the ones who should be embarrassed, not Bible believers. It comes down to this. You believe one of the following two statements. In the beginning, God, or in the beginning, nothing. This is why God repeated the following twice in His Word, in Psalm 14.1 and Psalm 53.1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And remember, it takes two or three witnesses to establish a fact is true, so God said it twice. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. I'm just telling you guys, do not let the so-called intellectuals and scientists uh, take away your faith or rob you of your faith. They are the fools. You can stand firmly on the Word of God. And let me just remind you, Remember thy creator in the days of thy youth. Corey?